beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. All right. Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, for uh, my friends here and the opportunity that we have right now uh, to start uh, studying uh, a new book of the Bible together. Um, Lord, we, we know that your word is life to us. It, it, it feeds us. It is, it is like bread or food, as you say, um, for our souls. And so, Lord, would you um, just give us an appetite uh, for true things? Would you give us an appetite for the beauty that is found in the gospel? And would you just feed us and nourish us uh, now as we open your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, as some of you know, this is like one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to do here is to introduce uh, a new book of the Bible to you. And today we begin a new sermon series in the great book of Genesis. Uh, it's in the first, uh, it's the first book of the Bible. Uh, and so if you're looking for it, it's probably on page one. Um, so it should be pretty easy throughout this next year to find where we are. Uh, and if you've never been here at the start of a series, a new series, it might be helpful for you to know that uh, this is our normal uh, rhythm here, is that we typically preach through entire books of the Bible. Instead of, instead of going through like a sermon series on uh, seven ways to become a better person, uh, we believe that by actually seeing and savoring the full nature and character of God as he's revealed revealed himself in his word, that's actually how you become a better person from the inside out. A whole list of motivational speeching, speech points is not going to truly transform anything. It's not going to truly transform anyone, but when we actually look at God's word, when we look at the Bible, see what it says and how it fits together, what it says about the world out there, what it says about us and our hearts, what it says about God and what he's doing through the work of Jesus, like that's the stuff that truly transforms that truly transforms and changes not only people, but generations. And so when all is said and done, when we gather in this room, our prayer is not that you would be entertained or that you would be emotionally manipulated by what we're doing up here, but that you would encounter God through his written word so that your affections are, are stirred by truth, so that your heart is stirred by the beauty of who God is. And so we're starting a new journey, working our way through the book of Genesis. Now, when you hear that word Genesis, what is it that you think of? What comes to mind when you hear the word Genesis? You probably think, you know, first book of the Bible. You maybe think about creation, right? You might think about some of the stories that maybe you've heard up, if you, uh, that you heard growing up in the church, uh, or if you grew up like around the church, stories about Adam and Eve, uh, the snake in the garden, uh, Noah and his ark, Abraham and his family. And that's how I think a lot of us, we view this book as a collection of stories. That's how we look at it. Some of us might even be so over-familiar with these stories that we, we just think, yeah, I, I know the stories, and so I, therefore, ergo, I know Genesis. I know the stories, so yeah, I know what Genesis is about. 
Well, let me just, let me just humbly suggest that that's the wrong way to look at it. I mean, all that's a part of Genesis, but you need to know why these stories are in here. Why these stories and not other stories. Because how you view Genesis, how you view the book of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters, is going to shape how you view all the other books of the Old Testament and the Bible. I'll say that again. How you view the book of Genesis is going to shape how you view all the other books of the Old Testament and therefore the rest of Scripture. And so I think the best way to kick us off in this series and help us understand this book properly is to sort of unpack and walk through uh, the very first verse, phrase by phrase. Um, don't worry, we're not going to do just one verse. Every single sermon in this series, we're going to do more verses in the future. But for uh, this week and next week, I want us to really spend time in just the first verse. Genesis 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And so here's point number one, is that Genesis is a book about origins. It's a book about origins, a book about beginnings. Our text begins with the phrase, in the beginning. It's a story of origins, a book about origins. Uh, We all love a good origin story, don't we? I mean, Hollywood gets this right now. That's why some of the most successful blockbusters over the last couple decades revolve around telling a really good origin story, right? From DC's Batman Begins and Joker to Marvel's Iron Man, Captain America, and so on, like leading up to the first origin story for the Avengers, right? When Amazon announced that they were producing the highest budget TV series in the history of television at $1 billion, and they're now suspecting that it's going to be up to $4 billion when everything's said and done, it was for the series called The Rings of Power, which is the origin story for The Lord of the Rings. And now you've you've got in theaters right now uh, Super Mario Brothers, which is the origin story of Mario and how he became uh, the the hero that he is. Um, They just announced they've got an origin story for Mickey Mouse coming up. Not even sure how that's going to work out, right? Apparently, Chris Pratt's going to be the voice of Mickey. So, um, But these origin stories, they sort of scratch an itch for us. That's why they're so wildly successful. They explain the setting and the context of a world. They, they tell us how things got the way that they are. They chart the character's purpose and explain how they find meaning. That's why in 1977, when George Lucas released the first Star Wars, everyone was kind of like puzzled by how the movie seemed to just kind of throw us into what felt like the middle episode of a series, right? The characters, the plot, the setting seemed to imply that there was some like huge backstory that we were missing, a backstory that would explain the conflict between the Empire and the Rebels and the Force and the Dark Side. And eventually, 
even they scratch that itch when they release prequel after prequel after prequel and spinoff after spinoff, right? Look, the title of the book that we're studying, <coughs> Genesis, it literally comes from the Latin word for origin. It is the original origin story. It's the origin story that matters the most. The one that we should all want to know about. The one that we should all want to subscribe to. It answers life's biggest questions. How did this all get here? What went wrong? How do we find meaning and purpose? The book of Genesis was given as a gift to us to answer those big questions. And so if we, if we want to understand the world, what it means to be human, what on earth we're here for, the nature of mankind, the meaning of life and death, the salvation we all hope for, the origin of all of these is recorded in Genesis. The whole basis for a Christian worldview is found in those words, in the beginning. The fact that there is a beginning tells us that things have not always existed. All matter, all things have a beginning. All creatures have a beginning. All life has a definitive beginning. And so when we sort of identify that beginning, then we start to learn key truths about all these things. For example, in the early 1900s, scientists, they actually believed in what was called a steady state theory of the universe, which, told, which said that, that the universe always existed, had no beginning, it probably has no end, it just, it just is, it just always is. But then an astronomer named Edwin Hubble, who we named the Hubble Telescope after, Hubble made a new observation. He observed that the stars and galaxies of the universe seemed to be moving apart from each other, that they actually seemed to be expanding. And what that told us is that evidence suggested that there is a starting point and beginning that launched everything into all different directions. And so now the new theory that, that you probably learned in school growing up is called the Big Bang Theory. That teaches that at one point there was, there was nothing, but then some type of event happened, some type of explosion, a Big Bang, if you will, right? A Big Bang that caused everything. Now, they, don't, they can't know that for sure. It's just a theory. But based on the evidence about how the universe is expanding, they're like, that, that, they're, they're, that has to be the case. But that still leaves so many unanswered questions. Like, well, if that's true, what, what caused it? What caused the bang? More importantly, if there is a beginning and something caused that beginning, then that means there's a history that there's meaning, purpose. So what is the source of this beginning? Who is the author of this origin story? That leads us to our second point, that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Genesis is a book about God's character and work. 
It's a book about God's character and work. Thank you. Genesis 1-1 continues. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And just the first four words of our English Bibles here, we're confronted with one of the most significant claims in all the scriptures. That if there was a beginning, and there was, what was there before the beginning? Who was there? The answer is that God was there. God alone was there. That's a significant claim. When you look around at this amazing world that we live in, from the stars that are swirling on high, the expanding cosmos and the, and the space that they're consuming, to the creatures that populate our planet, the plants that, that sprout up from the ground and that, that eventually bear fruit and season, to just the marvel and the beauty of of humanity and what we're, we're capable of, like our capacity for good and also like our complex capacity for evil, the way that we create, the way that we flourish. You got to at some point ask the question, where did this all come from? Where did the amazing gift of existence come from? Why do we exist? Why does anything exist? And if creation is a gift, then what does it say about the giver of that gift? That's what the book of Genesis is going to get into. The Bible answers a question that, that even the most involved secular sciences cannot like, if you ask what was the first cause of the universe, science can't answer that. Because the entire scientific method is built on observation. And so the best they can say is, I don't know, there's probably like a Big Bang or something, right? Or when they want to sound smart, they call it a singularity, right? I don't know, there's a singularity, this event that happened. Like, okay, but then what caused that? There's no answer. They can't answer because it's built on observation. You can't observe that. There's a philosophical argument for the existence of God called the cosmological argument from first cause. And it says that for every observable effect, there's got to be a cause. And so, like, when my, my youngest kid walks up to me like he did yesterday with blue all over his teeth and, and blue dripping from his face, we're going to assume, assume, like, oh, you probably had the blue ice cream, Right? cause and effect. When we look at the world that we inhabit, the design, the order, the natural laws like for gravity and time and motion that keep it all going, that's a massive observable effect. And so the question is, what is the massive cause of this effect? There's a Christian apologist who once pointed out that our universe is just haunted by the existence of God. He says the world that we observe cannot provide an answer for its being. If there's no natural and material source that we can observe, then we must conclude that the beginning was caused by a supernatural and immaterial source. 
In other words, consider the possibility of Genesis 1-1's claim. In the beginning, God. Richard Dawkins, a popular atheist, he had this best-selling book that I read a number of years ago. It's called The God Delusion. And throughout the book, he keeps asking this question, like, well, what about who made God? He says it over and over again. He says, who made God? And he loves that Christians can't provide, in his opinion, a, a satisfying answer to that question. The question, who made God, for him, is he sort of treats it like this, this ace of spades that he can just throw out to own the Christians. But the, the question itself kind of misses the whole point. It's like asking, how many hairs does a man have? And that question doesn't make sense because it's like, well, what man are you talking about, right? You can't just answer the question, how many hairs does a man have? You got to define what we're talking about here. Like, it's not, it, 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 like, you have to say who you're talking about in order for you to find the answer. And so if we yield to the truth that God is the supernatural maker of all things, that he's the uncreated creator, then we see how senseless a question, who made God, is. The question doesn't even apply. God was made from nowhere. He came from no one because he, he is and he always has been. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of that phrase, in the beginning, God. God is not himself a part of creation. God already was. He's the creator and source of all things. All things come from him. A moment ago, we were talking about how, how knowing the beginning helps us determine something's direction and purpose. And since the pages of Genesis show us the trajectory of creation, we know that God not only created the beginning, but he determines the beginning's direction. And if a good and personal God is the cause and source of all creation, then the purpose and meaning of life is shaped by the one who made it all, by the one who, who is good and personal. This is the verse that we read in our call to worship this morning in Psalm 90, verse 2. David says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. God exists from eternity past. He will exist from to eternity future. He's completely apart from the created order. His character and nature and being exist outside the mountains and outside planets, outside time. He exists outside of the earth and its oceans, its rivers and trees. The name for God in Genesis 1-1 is this Hebrew name, Elohim. It's the name used for God as a creator, and he's the only one that goes by this name. And what is, it, what is it that he created? It says, in the beginning, God 
Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The word used for create there is this, this Hebrew word, bara, which is actually contrasted from another Hebrew word, which is asa. Now, why does this, any of this matter? It's because a, a bara means that God created from nothing. It's the type of creation where you are creating from nothing. But, but asa means that God takes what already exists, and, and he prepares it. He, he works with pre-existing material. It's like, how many of you made breakfast this morning? Uh, if you did, you didn't barah your breakfast, right? You didn't speak it into existence from nothing in your pantry. You assad it. That's the, what it you, that's the type of making your breakfast that you did. You took the eggs, you cracked them into the skillet, or you grabbed the box, you poured the cereal into the bowl. Like, there's, that's the difference. Alec Motor points out that when this verb to create, bara, has a subject, it is always God. When it has presumed subjected, it is always God. It is used throughout the Old Testament of acts or events which either by their specialty or novelty or both point to God as their originator. And so when verse 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth, that's a way of saying, look, he created everything that there is, all of it. There are two great realms in creation. There's the visible realm, which is all the reality that we see and experience that is tangible. The skies, the supernovas, the planets, the rainforest, microscopic insects, like every, every cell and cork, things that you can interact with in that way. And then there's the, the, the invisible realm. That's the reality that is intangible, that is supernatural. The higher world of, of angels and God's throne and God's glory, things that we can't weigh or measure. Things that fill books of religion and philosophy. All of these things, the things of the, the, the visible realm and the invisible, of heaven and of earth, were created by him. This is why the early church stated it this way at the Council of Nicaea, where we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. That's what it means when we say that, that God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things, all things visible, all things invisible. God is not a product of our imaginations. No, we are a product of his. He made it all. He designed it all. He gives it all purpose. And so this leads us to our, our, our third, and this is our final point. Yeah, Genesis is about God's story of redemption. Genesis is about the story of God. Specifically, the salvation story of God. Now, to get this point, you need to ask questions about the context that Genesis is written into. So this is not specifically found in verse 1, but the context that verse 1 was written into. Questions like, who wrote Genesis? Why was it written? Who was the original audience? How would they have received it? The Bible tells us that Genesis was written by Moses. 
And yes, we're talking about that Moses. Let my people go, Moses. Parting the Red Sea, Moses. Brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, Moses. So it's important to know that Moses is the author, but also when and why he wrote it. And the Bible tells us that, that, that Moses wrote it after the exodus from Egypt, after they were delivered from slavery. So this is after let my people go, after crossing the Red Sea, while they're wandering in the wilderness, trying to find their way home to the promised land. Now, there's two things that you need to know about that. You need to understand that, that, that Israel, under the Moses of the prophet, or under the leadership of the prophet Moses, they were leaving behind all the old creation myths of the Egyptians. You see, while, we, while they were enslaved and in captivity in Egypt, they were being taught and they were being shaped by all these pagan creation myths that talked about these false gods. And so Moses writes Genesis to help them understand the true story of the world. But secondly, they're, they're also not just coming out of Egypt, but they're, 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 they're poised to, to enter the land of Canaan, where in Canaan, there's a, a whole other set of pagan religions and creation myths. And so Moses is writing Genesis, not only so that they can relearn true history uh, apart from what, what, what shaped them from the Egyptians, but to set them apart from what the people in Canaan believed about who God is, what creation is, who they are, and what God did for them and who it is that they're to worship. See, a lot of people have a hard time actually getting through Genesis because they misunderstand what it's primarily supposed to be about. You get like halfway through, through Genesis and you're like, where are the dinosaurs, right? Where's the willingly mammoth? Like we get confused and we put the book book down, but 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 let's not do it. Do that here. Let's not put the book down when we get confused. But let, let's take it up and read it. Let's understand how to read it rightly. Genesis, contrary to how many people treat it, is not a science book. It is a salvation book. It's the story of God's redemption. When Moses started writing the scriptures for God's Old Testament people, because when they came out of Egypt and when he was leading them through the wilderness, I mean, God's people were a mess. They were engaging in idolatry. And so Moses writes them the first five books of the Bible in a single collection that's called the Pentateuch. It's a story of Israel's beginning. It's a story of how God delivered Israel, who he is to them, how he's their savior, their redeemer, their deliverer, what he's promised to carry them to. That's what the Tepentuch is about. But that story of who Israel is, in many ways, starts in Exodus. But the reason Genesis comes first is because it's sort of like a prologue. It's sort of like the introduction to the Pentateuch. It's the origin story that sets the stage for everything else to follow. It sets the trajectory for the rest of the Pentateuch. Look, there's so much that we find in the book of Genesis, particularly in the first 11 chapters. That is just so foundational. 
And I want us to see God's plan on its pages. I want him to see his, us to see his redemption story on its pages. I want us to see the glory of God in these chapters. And if we miss the point of Genesis, then we're going to miss the trajectory of the whole salvation story. This book sets the stage for everything. And so we're going to look at the monumental truths on its pages about who God is and who we are as part of creation, the truth about evil and sin and the need for redemption and restoration. We'll see the grand story of Scripture on the pages of Genesis, that it's not just a bunch of separate stories that get pictured on a, on a flannel board but it all fits together in one grand story. We'll look at the creator-creation distinction, which is step number one in forming a Christian worldview. How God is the creator of all things, and he's good, and he's powerful, and he's sovereign, and he provides, and he saves. We'll see the relationship between Adam, the first man, and Christ, the Messiah, a relationship that is so important, so vital and pivotal to our understanding of sin and salvation and the role that Jesus plays in reestablishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to see the dignity of mankind, the distinction between men and women, and our united calling as humans in this world. In Egypt, the Israelites were taught that there was only one image of God. It, it was the, the Pharaoh. But Genesis tells us, no, we're all made in the image of God. And therefore, every human being, regardless of gender, regardless of, of creed, regardless of nationality, regardless of social class, every single one of us is created with dignity and value and worth. What theologians call the Imago Dei, the image of God. We'll also see the curse of sin, how it screwed up God's good creation and how it continues to make us long and yearn and cry out for another world, a world that we were truly made for. And we'll see glimpses of that world in Genesis. See, Genesis not only covers creation and the fall, but also redemption and restoration. We're introduced to God's covenants in Genesis. We're introduced to his renewing work in the world in Genesis. The story that begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The story that begins with those words is the grand story of God's redemption. Israel, who again Moses was writing to, they were living out a story of deliverance. They were delivered from evil and given salvation in a land of promise. Their story looked back to God's creation, to the glory of God and the curse of sin and the misery and death that followed. But that story also looked forward to a savior, who is also a part of God's original design for the world. This is why the New Testament Gospel of John begins with an intentional echo of Genesis 1. While Moses started the Genesis with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, centuries later, the Apostle John would open up 
his gospel with the story of the new creation in Jesus by echoing those words when he said, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Christ, the Messiah, the word. Genesis tells a story of God, the origin of history, of creation, ourselves, sin, death, salvation. It's the origin story of the world that we live in, of how we meet with God. And it's the salvation story through the one that the Father has appointed to come to us in our need, our great God and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.